Chapter Three of The Whispering Man by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three The Theory of the Police. I decided that Jack would be the best person to take with me to identify the ruby, and leaving Madeline in the library, went upstairs to his room also i was anxious to relieve his mind of the horrible idea which i supposed he had shared with me and which i took to account for his distracted conduct in the cab i knocked briskly on the door and entered the room without waiting for his invitation to come in he was still fully dressed well it's all right said i they've got the murderer i guess there's no doubt about it his face which had been pale before went white as chalk who where he asked what makes them think so it's all right i repeated sit down and listen there is nothing more to worry about the man who did it is safe under lock and key in the police station i thought i heard him say the man after me in a whisper when i turned quickly upon him to verify my guess however his flushed face and bright eyes seemed to be trying vainly to conceal the relief he was ashamed to show it's queer said i sitting down on the edge of the bed that none of us ever thought of robbery as a motive but while we were sitting here torturing ourselves with all sorts of weird and ghastly suspicions the police were quietly at work rounding up the professional criminal who beyond any doubt will prove to be the guilty man you can identify your father's great ruby can't you yes he said of course i can he got up at once set his somewhat disordered clothing a little to rights before the mirror and started for the door stop in the library on the way down i suggested and speak to madeline it would please her i think and certainly she deserves it what do you mean he asked turning to face me at the door why said i not knowing just how to put it of course she saw what both of us were thinking of she knew that we couldn't help being aware that the circumstances pointed to her at her he repeated who are you talking about what do you mean i mean madeline of course said i a little impatiently both of us made fools of ourselves i've acknowledged it i was suggesting that you do the same thing he looked at me for a moment with a perfectly blank stare made as if to speak and checked himself then without a word he opened the door and walked ahead of me downstairs he did go into the library and speak to madeline i am glad it's all right stepmother he said it seemed that this half-humorous fashion of address was one he always used you are a dear boy she answered laying one arm across his shoulder you couldn't help it any more than cliff by the way there's another telephone message come for you you are to go to the office in the grosvenor instead of to police headquarters they've taken the prisoner up there the grosvenor is a modern office building running up to a moderate height of fifteen or eighteen stories and is situated just off the avenue in one of the cross-town thirties it is luxurious to the last degree in all its appointments 
and its tenants were the residuum of so keenly discriminating a selective process that the role of them was altogether imposing that the respectability of the grosvenor should be presented to the public eye in the yellow press in the same black headlines with the words murder and mystery struck me as one of those ironical little jokes that fate is so fond of playing i thought of something else too as young marshall and i were taking our places in one of the battery of quick-firing elevators with which the building was provided and this was a theme i had heard arthur jeffrey dilating upon only the other day the modern office building as the theatre of romance no writer of modern fiction jeffrey had said need ever go to the deserted moor or the forsaken farmhouse or the abandoned mine working for solitude or for mystery the modern office building can beat them all at that one can come and go in them unseen unremarked by the other hundreds who are coming and going also each bent on his own private peculiar concerns if you want to commit a crime do it in an office building you are as good as a thousand miles away from the scene of it once you have closed the corridor door on the room where it happened if you want to meet a long-lost brother here is a place to do it he may have had an office on the floor above for the last five years its resources in the way of surprise terror mystery and yes picturesqueness too are absolutely unrivalled making due allowance for my friend's fondness for paradox and exaggeration there was still something in what he had said i thought in this case however the murderer had evidently found himself at the end of a short tether if he had acted on jeffrey's advice he had profited ill by the time i had reached that conclusion we were out of the elevator and had opened the door into the reception-room where dr marshall's patients had sat waiting that morning and where they would wait no more the doctor's suite of offices was l-shaped occupying as it did the most desirable and expensive corner of the most expensive floor of that most expensive building dr marshall's own quarters subdivided into an office an examination room and a dressing-room occupied the corner itself flanked to the south by the large reception-room we had just entered and to the west by the smaller office of his assistant the reception-room and the two offices each had an independent door opening into the corridor and both the reception-room and the office of the assistant communicated directly with the doctors so much i had been able to observe or had already been told on crossing the corridor and entering the reception-room i was to learn more about it presently the reception-room was furnished with a magnificent oriental rug a large mahogany centre table littered with magazines and books and a number of easy-chairs also a telephone desk where the attendant sat taking messages making appointments and sending into the inner office the patient next in line when the sound of the doctor's buzzer announced that he had just dismissed the preceding patient into the corridor there were two telephone sockets in the desk one for connecting the wire into dr marshall's office and the other for the assistant's a man in a police sergeant's uniform a burly man with a big moustache was sitting at the telephone desk when we entered the room 
there were some other people sitting about in the various easy-chairs but i had no leisure to examine them particularly just then my name is drew said i addressing the sergeant and this is mr marshall who will be able to identify the ruby in case it proves to be the one that belonged to the doctor the lieutenant will be out in a minute said the sergeant he's in there he nodded as he spoke toward the door to the inner office i'll let him know you're here he suited the action to the word but said after a moment of cryptic conversation into the transmitter that we were to wait there's plenty of comfortable chairs and there's no hurry he added philosophically he seemed rather bored himself however for he yawned portentously when he spoke what's the lieutenant doing in there i asked sweating pomeroy he answered laconically apparently surprised at so unnecessary a question trying to get a squeal out of him i took it that he used the word squeal in the highly technical sense of confession rather than its looser literary sense is all you've got against pomeroy i asked that you found a ruby on him supposing that it is the ruby what made you think he had it he hesitated about answering me seeming to think that discretion required a discouraging amount of reserve on his part but he really wanted to talk and he really was proud of the way the police had caught up and run down their clue it seemed that o'malley of the traffic regulation squad had seen pomeroy at the corner and recognized him and after walking half a block toward the grosvenor entrance had seen him turn in there he had reported this occurrence to the roundsman with the result that as soon as it became known that dr marshall's death was a coroner's case probably of murder two and two were put together and pomeroy was arrested in a resort he was known to frequent he was searched and what appeared to be dr marshall's great ruby was found on his person his description also tallied closely with that furnished by the reception-room attendant of an alleged patient who had come in and waited for some time for his turn to see the doctor and then gone away apparently without accomplishing his purpose she's sitting over there now said the sergeant lowering his voice and we are to give her a chance to identify him presently as soon as the lieutenant gets through with him who are the others i asked oh them there's some more patients who were here in the office when he was supposed to be we'll let them identify him too if they can what i don't understand is said i supposing pomeroy did get in there with the purpose of stealing the ruby why should he have poisoned the doctor or how could he have got him to take it poisoned nothing said the sergeant easily he suffocated him that's what he did and he didn't mean to do that most likely just gagged him to keep him quiet and pushed the gag too far back into his pipe before i could question him further on the totally new theory of the case the sound of the buzzer recalled the sergeant's attention to the telephone after listening to the unintelligible half of a brief conversation we were told we could go in now to the inner office i crossed the room at once and opened the door under the impression that jack was at my heels when i looked back i saw him still standing beside the desk come in if you want to and shut the door said the lieutenant my name is drew said i i am not the man who can identify the ruby he's out there 
come in anyway said the lieutenant and shut the door we aren't ready for him yet i seated myself in the nearest chair and looked about me but the first sensation i experienced came not through my eyes but through my nostrils the strong acrid smell of stale tobacco what made me notice it was the knowledge of the late physician's fastidious aversion to this very odour the detective force had been making free with the place for hours there were enough of them here there were five or six men in the room including the one who must be the prisoner and the man at the desk who i took to be the lieutenant they were all in plain clothes and with due deference to the personnel of the detective force i am obliged to admit that it took me a minute or two to satisfy myself as to which of the other men sitting about the room was the prisoner and which was the guardian of the law evidently this device was a deliberately produced effect for the lieutenant now spoke through the phone to the sergeant at the desk outside send in the girl he said the telephone girl evidently they meant to identify the prisoner before proceeding to the identification of the ruby the girl answered the summons she was a young woman of no particular characteristics unless perhaps her hair had the look of being somewhat more blonde than nature had made it she came in with a good deal of confidence which visibly and rapidly ebbed however as her gaze travelled from one face to another of those about the room after looking more and more vaguely at the faces of the men who were paraded for her inspection she turned as if in despair looked long and earnestly at me and finally focused her gaze on the lieutenant himself i think she said at last it must be one of those two she had not included me as i half expected she would for evidently her powers of identification had failed her completely think said the lieutenant this isn't a case of thinking do you know in spite of his efforts he could not galvanize her into even a reasonably firm conviction she was an indisputable failure that was all there was about it so she was dismissed into the corridor and the one with the black eyes this was the lieutenant's mode of designation summoned from the outer office to replace her her eyes weren't black at all those of the girl whom the opening door now admitted they were the greenish-gray curiously brilliant and never twice exactly the same that are so often seen half-veiled behind long down-drooping black lashes her hair was black too and so was the small toque she wore and the severely tailored coat and skirt which set off so beautifully the perfections of a small slender well-poised body she was well shod something which cannot be said of all women more expensively and elaborately dressed than she and i got the impression though she had not removed her gloves that her hands must be beautiful at any rate there was a distinction about the way she carried them and about the slight almost imperceptible gestures she made with them which gloves could not disguise it was hardly five seconds before she spoke the second man from the right end was in the office this morning she said he was wearing a small moustache then and different clothes he was the one i had already guessed to be pomeroy though of course i had never seen him before 
i had founded my guess on the fact i had noticed that just before either of the two attempts at identification while the other three men had not changed at all the attitude in which they had happened to be at the moment this man had drawn himself a little straighter as if he meant to give himself an authoritative quasi-military air evidently the identification was correct for the lieutenant was trying to conceal his pleasure in it you are sure of that are you he asked it's not a guess yes i'm sure she replied if you will look at the little finger of the right hand the hand that is in his pocket now you will see that it is bent out of the last joint as if it had been broken that's all right said the lieutenant and you're all right i wish there was more like you for a moment my attention had wandered from the criminal and the effect of the identification upon him i was thinking about the girl's voice how thoroughly it pleased and satisfied the ear even in the utterances of the few words i heard her say and i was trying to recollect what i had heard about a nice voice earlier in the evening then it came to me this was the girl who had telephoned madeline gwendolen something the last person known to have seen dr marshall alive she too had been dismissed into the corridor before i had completely identified her send in the old guy the lieutenant was saying into the telephone that was a good identification but we may as well have another End of chapter three